0: I like good questions and I like being asked good questions, Um, so if I was to ask you, what are some good reasons to get good and angry? You could probably give me a good list. You probably could. I I think that most of us have lived life long enough, we've seen what we should and shouldn't get angry over, whether or not we'll admit some of the things that we shouldn't get angry over, um, that's a different story. But what if I was to ask you for some good examples of good anger? Like, good examples of good anger. Could you kind of point to some? Could you point to historical figures? You might be able to. We could. The question becomes, their public outrage and the good public outrage they display, does it translate to their private outrage? Because I know for certain that all of you on Facebook who are publicly outraged over the righteous things you should be, your private anger and outrage matches it perfectly, right? Like, you never let your anger go out of... You would you would be welcoming people into your home to watch how you get angry at home because you always match your perfect righteous anger on social media, right? Like, you, no? Oh, okay. I was just... I thought maybe maybe you, you did, but... Because it's difficult to truly get a good understanding of what good anger looks like, we cannot just look this way or this way. We actually have to look this way. We have to see what God's anger looks like. And it makes sense to me that we are confused at what good anger looks like because we try to say God doesn't get angry. We don't like a God who would get angry. We like God part two of the New Testament. We just like Jesus. But the problem is Jesus did get angry. And when we say we don't like a God that gets angry, we're actually saying we really don't dig Jesus. So we have to be very careful And what we talk about and when we talk about anger. Scripture teaches that two kinds of anger exist. Righteous and unrighteous. From Genesis to Revelation we see terrible effects of grumbling, complaining, backstabbing, betrayal, hostility, outbursts of rage. You see it all from Genesis to Revelation. The ugly forms of anger that Christ followers are called to put away. Ephesians chapter 4, we read this last week, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So for the Christ follower, we are to put those things away. There is an active work in us that goes, this is not what we will wear. Colossians, Paul's words to another church, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, Malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Now, that's not saying don't get angry. That's saying put away sinful anger. Those lists that follow anger are those sinful ways that you and I as human beings, broken as we are, will miss it when it comes to anger. We fail, and we fail, and we fail. And in Scripture, we can't really even look at the people of the Bible. Moses. Inappropriately got angry David wanted to have a man killed Because he did not want to be found out The disciples get angry wrong And Jesus has to correct them So we can't just look at the people of the Bible To know what good anger looks like We have to look at God And I know for some of you this morning The the idea that God would get angry bothers you And we have to talk about it. For us to understand what good anger looks like and how we as his creation can reflect that good anger in a society where we see so much to be outraged over, it's very easy for us to place our anger in the wrong place, at the wrong time, for the wrong length of time, and in the wrong level. And what you just see doing is creating this cycle of sin. And so this morning... Just a few verses after Paul says, Put away sinful anger, he says these words in Ephesians 5 Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. We don't like to talk about the anger of God, but housed in the scripture, is the story of the most famous angry person ever. Inside this story, you'll discover God's anger is a lot like your own. You will see, you will go, huh, I should be angry at that. But you will also see that it is very different. And that is refreshing to know that God's anger is not like my anger, but yet it is still kind of like my anger. You don't know, want to know why? Because we were made in his image to reflect him. You and I will have leanings towards righteous anger. We will have the ability to reflect God's anger, but. Because of sin, we reflect it imperfectly. So as God gets angry, you and I express anger because we were made in his image. But you and I are in need of being remade. On our own, we will let anger drive and it will get sinful. Because we are sinful. You and I both have a response to hearing the phrase, the wrath. Of God, Like right now, you have a response, an internal response to hearing the phrase, the wrath of God. Some of you are so angry at the idea of the wrath of God, you don't want to talk about it. Some of you are a little too excited about the wrath of God. And we need to talk about it. Some of you ignore the wrath of God. And we need to talk about it. Some of you, you just like Jesus, right? That's, that's what we say. I, I don't understand the anger of God. I really like Jesus. Well, Jesus got angry. And if Jesus is, as the scripture declares, the full image of God before us, he is the visible image of the invisible God, he lacks nothing and he shows us what God is like. And if Jesus got angry, then we have to look at Jesus to understand what does anger look like? If you only let Google searches or YouTube videos teach you about the wrath of God, you will not get an accurate view of the wrath of God, the anger of God. You and I, we take human explanations and we cast the way we get angry on God, and therefore we say that can't be right and it can't be good, so maybe God doesn't get angry. Or we think, we think God is petty and moody and um, get, he gets upset over the things that we get upset over. And so, of course, God would never get angry about it that way. And what we have done is we've basically seen how bad anger affects us. And we've said, God, that's probably how you get angry. Therefore, I'm not even going to acknowledge that you get angry. But if Jesus is the full picture of God, the visible image of the invisible God... What does that tell us about the anger of God? If you were to take the average person on the street and ask them this question, fill in the blank. God is slow to... See, the children get these things right, man. (laughs) You'd probably get a ton of different answers. And if you were to take the same question and say, fill in the blank, God is quick to get now you're now you're helping me kids cuz you got it wrong god is slow to fill in the blank god is quick to fill in the blank chances are you're going to get some really interesting answers in Exodus chapter 34, just after the people of Israel have grumbled and complained and sinned their way into this, this position that they find themselves in, God humorously takes this time of a rebellious people doing their rebellious thing to explain himself and who he is. To the nation of Israel after being rescued and brought out of slavery, God's grace all over them and them turning their back on him through the way they treated each other and the way they treated God. God says this of himself in Exodus 34. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger And filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations. It sounds contradicting that God would forgive sins and rebellion and iniquity, but he does not let the guilty go unpunished. We'll talk about that in just a minute. In Psalm 103, the psalmist is referring back to God declaring who he is. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his his children tender and compassionate to those who fear him. In Psalm 145:8 The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I need you to hear me that this does not mean that God is easygoing or indifferent or never gets upset. And if you've taken the claim that God never gets angry, then you have a God that is not good. If you have a God that never gets angry at you, you have an idol. If you have a God that would never call you out on your sin and say, this is wrong, you have for yourself an idol. And that is not a loving God. See, this is where things start to get touchy, and I know we don't like to talk about Our view of God, because who's to say my view and your view and your view? Well, this is why we look at the scripture, because there is a standard. H.W. Beecher said it this way A man that does not know how to be angry does not know how to be good. A man that does not know how to be shaken to his heart's core with indignation over things evil is either a fungus or a wicked. Man Same would be said of God If God did not know how to get indignant Over things that are despicable He would not be good Nor would he be loving God's anger stands activated At all that is truly evil And if that's the case His anger flows out of complete And total moral goodness A God who does not get angry is not a God. He is not God. But it's looking at how He deals with anger that you and I learn how to be angry. And in the scripture, after countless invitations to turn from their evil and people continuing to rebel, God does cut off evil. You need to hear me that God, as he is slow to anger in the Old Testament, would continually call people to put down their idols, stop betraying him, stop betraying others, come home, return to me after countless invitations. His patience is so long-suffering. He's willing to be patient and slow while he watches humanity destroy itself, but he's saying, come home, there will come a time when I'm cutting off all evil. I will cut it off. I will cut it off. And in, in the Old Testament, you see him do that. We learn how serious God is about injustice and evil and betrayal and backstabbing and hurting one another because we have said no to him and he cuts it off. We don't like to think of things that way. But because he is slow to anger does not mean he is a pushover. He is a holy God who will not let evil continue. In the book of Jonah, Jonah, this prophet we talked about for several weeks this year, he actually gets mad at God for how patient he was with a people who were vile sinners in his eyes. Jesus actually displays this kind of patience with sinful people when he speaks how we, are to deal with sinful people. In Luke chapter 6, he says this, Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Our doing kind and mercy and forgiveness to others is directly related to how He has dealt with us. So when you are he- you're hearing me say, when I get angry, I should be looking for ways to show them mercy. That's what I'm saying. Good anger is constructive, not destructive. Good anger gets angry over the right thing, but good anger looks. For reconciliation and mercy and forgiveness, why do I say that? because that 's how God gets angry we don 't get to pick and choose how we live as His followers. His scripture, his words give us these ways to live, and God is described as slow to anger and is how we are described to live. We prayed it this morning, James chapter one. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger, sinful anger, does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. In the famous 1 Corinthians 13, what is the first description of love? Love is patient. Because God's anger is patient, it does not mean that he is indifferent. For you and I as couples, as, as a married relationship or in friendships or in work relationships, everybody's really quick to just go, let's not make up, let's just kiss. That's what we do. We, 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 we gloss over what we should have been angry about. We go, you know what, I forgive you when we don't really mean it. We just kind of go, I don't want to deal with it, I don't want to confront it, let's just kiss, let's not really make up. That is not what patience towards anger and the things that make us angry looks like. Patience hates what is happening, but it takes a step back, rolls up its sleeves, and says, I am in this for the long haul. I'm gonna do what it takes to see right, but I'm gonna do it in a way that is reflective of our creator. I'm against that, but willing to figure out how to be constructive and show mercy. Not because that's our natural, but because it is God's way of dealing with things. Because human anger is so impatient, we just assume God's anger is the same way. 2 Peter 3:9. I love these words. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is the call home. This is the please stop betraying me and stop betraying each other. Walk away from your sin now because it is evil and there will be an end to it. And unfortunately, the evil that we so easily walk into is not around us, but it dwells within. This is the need for a new heart. This is the need to be remade. In fact, God made a way for those things to happen. But just because God is patient, it does not mean he will not get angry. We live in a society that has taken the idea of the wrath of God and attached it to an angry person that we know... And all we see is anger expressed incorrectly, so to attach it to a loving God just can't be right, can it? This is how we think. This is how you think. This is how I think. But we must look at God's anger to know how we are to be angry. Toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, Moses has been this man who's been raised up to lead Israel out of slavery and he reviews the promises that God has made to the people. And if you, you just need to read through it. You need to read the covenant promises. Ultimately, it's God saying, I have committed myself to you. Okay? In a marriage ceremony, you say that, right? I have committed myself to you. And the return and the reciprocation is, God, we have committed ourselves to you. God initiates. He steps out. He's the one who says, I am with you. I am yours. You are mine. But we also see the promised effects of turning from that commitment and that covenant. God promises not blessing, but curses for those who turn from that covenant promise. As God is committed to these people, to turn your back and betray Him comes with cursing, not blessing. In fact, God even tells the people that in future generations, when they walk through places that could have been blessed, instead they found destruction. God is clear on his expectations. See, bad anger is not clear on expectations. God is clear on his expectations, and he repeats himself over and over and over and over and over. And this is what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 29. All the surrounding nations will ask, Why has the Lord done this to the land? Why was he so angry? And the answer will be, this happened because the people of the land abandoned the covenant that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. It doesn't say that they committed to this covenant before he brought them out. It says he brought them out. He made this covenant with them. Instead, they turned away to serve and worship gods they had not known before gods that were not from the Lord. That is why the Lord's anger has burned against this land, bringing down on it every curse recorded in this book. In the great anger and fury, the Lord uprooted his people from their land and banished them to another land where they still live today. He was saying, this is going to happen, and I know it. My people are going to turn their backs on me. And in verse 29, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us, so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. God is clear on what, would, what he does get angry over. We are the ones who go, ah, he's probably not serious about it. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. If God says it's a big deal, then you and I are faced with a very real decision. Is it a big deal? See, nine times out of ten, we have said what is and isn't a big deal, which is why we are not comfortable with an angry God. God's anger is not simply a tantrum or a case of the Mondays or moodiness, just like we might be affected by. But like we've talked about the last two weeks, what we get angry over is a moral thing. It's a moral statement. What I'm saying is right and wrong and fair. In the very same way, God's anger, there is no contradiction to his patience with us and his fierce hatred for all that destroys. Because God loves us, he must get angry. Without anger, he is detached and cold God's anger burns against treason and betrayal. Doesn't yours? Show of hands, who likes to be betrayed? Oh, good, okay. So we're 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 right there with God, right? For God to not get angry over these things is a cold and indifferent idol that we have created. Because God's people were betraying Him, you betray Him. What leads to betraying others? Rejecting God leads to abusing others. Rejecting His ways means you're going to crush others. Turning their backs on God always led to turning their backs on others. Betrayal and treason, they should cause us to be angry. God gets angry over these things. Think of all the things that stir a good and righteous anger. Betrayal, lies, slander, character defamation, hypocrisy, laziness, A harsh taskmaster, stubbornness, rebellion, back-talking, murder, physical abuse, sexual betrayals or abuse, cheating, stealing, gossip, greed, all of these things we don't like. Does that list sound familiar to you? It should. In Exodus chapter 20, God lays a foundation with the people. Commandment number one, no other gods but the one true God. Don't betray him. Commandment number two, no idols. Don't worship your lies or your self-serving agents. Because when you do that, you turn your back on others. Commandment number three, don't take God's name in vain. Folks, if we understood this isn't just about cussing. This is about using God speak to back up your own selfishness. This is about hypocrisy. This is about you going, In the name of God, but I abuse others. That's what we're talking about. You don't like that? Neither does God. Fourth commandment, Sabbath. Real six day a week hard work. Not workaholic. Not overworking but real God-honoring hard work for six days and real God-honoring rest on the seventh. Not self-serving and always looking to be lazy, but man, the Sabbath makes it possible to work hard and to rest hard. You don't like laziness? You don't like taskmasters? You don't like workaholics? The Sabbath matters. Honoring mom and dad instead of rebelling against them, (laughs) right? Not murdering anyone. And in Jesus' words, hatred, speaking words of hatred, abuses of any kind, not just the taking of someone's life, we don't, that should stir us to anger, No sexual immorality of any kind honoring the marriage bed. Christians, our sexual ethic should protect people, not use them. We get angry over these things because God gets angry over these things. Don't steal in any way. Don't lie or speak evil of others. And don't be the center of your life, because your greed will hurt other people. These things would stir anger in anyone with a conscience. These things hit us in our every day. When your anger is stirred, you may be like, I hate the Ten Commandments, but you cannot deny these are the things that you are angered by. Do you want to know why? Because God made us in his image. You may try and reject those things. But you're turning against your conscience. You're handing yourself over to lies. When you push those, those things aside. More than that. The reason you are mad at those things. Is because God gets angry at those things. Like God you are angered at betrayals of love. I don't know, most people that I know are not indifferent to betrayals of love. Neither is God. David Pallison put it this way. Not only did God publish this list in the Ten Commandments, and not only do violations of these things occasion your actual real-life anger, But it's no accident that these things also form the explicit or implicit basis of our laws protecting persons, property, and reputation. Theft, murder, defamation of character, reckless endangerment, pedophilia, terrorism, treason, and the like, not only call forth personal anger, they call for criminal proceedings. Firstly, to betray God. Secondly, to do what harms others, Christ followers know this as breaking God's commandments. To betray God, to walk away, to form your own idols, to say, "I don't want you. I know what will give me more satisfaction, more life than you." That is to turn your back to betray God. And when we when we turn our back on God, we we turn our backs. On each other. We hurt each other because we have set up for ourselves our own little castle that means I step on everyone and anyone in my way. Jesus, when he was asked, said this in Matthew 22 What is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. These words are a beautiful statement. God saying to us, I have loved you. Now you, you get to love me. And because I made you in my image, not only do you get to love me, you get to love others. And when you do not, you not only betray man, you turn your back on me. And as we have seen, good reason to have righteous anger over. The word we use for this is not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not a failing. The word we use for this is sin. We can't pretty it up. We can't make it better than it needs to be. The scriptures describe the betrayal of man, the betrayal of God as sin. And it's amazing to me that the things that can universally upset any of us the things that we should be naturally outraged over are described as sin in the scripture. We may live in a society that says, I don't want to talk about it that way. I'd rather call it a mistake or a failure or an oopsie. No, it's sin. God is slow to anger. Make no mistake. He will judge all forms of evil. Thankfully, we live in a day in an age where mercy is front and center. But it does not negate the call of God to repent and turn from our sins, turn from our betrayal of Him and betrayal of others, turn from those things. Why? Because God is quick to show kindness and mercy to those who are ready to deal with their sin. This is good anger. It's not good anger if reconciliation and mercy are not the end goal. If what your thought of good anger is, is crush, destroy, make, make them go away. That is not good anger. Good anger aims to construct, to build, to show mercy, to forgive. That doesn't mean consequences aren't real. It just means the way I operate is, is how Jesus has operated towards me. This is what good anger looks like. God is willing to be clear on his expectations. God is slow to get angry. God does take action against wrongs. And he is moved in mercy. Forgiveness and mercy is a part of anger. If there was no wrong, there'd be no reason for anger and there'd be no need for mercy or forgiveness. But good anger aims for mercy. Jesus, when he looked at the Pharisees, he was angry at their lack of mercy for the man with a deformed hand on the Sabbath. The result of Jesus' anger, this man's hand is healed. Jesus looked in the temple and he saw all of these money changers and animal sellers taking up all this space in the worship place, the place that was meant to be for worshiping God. These people were interfering with the worship of these people. And Jesus, if you read the account, takes time to make a whip. He didn't just walk in and go, what in the world? Flip over tables and all this stuff. And he actually goes, huh? Huh? Where's some rope? And a couple ropes. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to make a whip. And then he cleans house. Because anything that stands in the way of people worshiping the one true God, Jesus will not let stand. Jesus called a very bad man in Matthew, a dirty tax collector, and in his mercy caused the life-giving good for this man who had turned his back on God and on his people. As the band comes and we close this morning, Romans chapter 5 says this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Good anger gets angry over the right things. Good anger gets angry when it should. As we reflect on communion this morning, I want to look at Jesus' words to Peter. When Peter said to Jesus in in Matthew chapter 22, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Because we have limits in our head and our heart, right? Seven times makes sense, because that's once for every day of the week. I can do that. That's that's realistic. That's an expectation I've got. I can handle that. Seven days, that makes sense in Peter's mind. And Jesus says, no. No. A lot more times than seven. It doesn't mean you don't get angry. It means that forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation are the aim every time. And, friends, that's supernatural. The only way to do that every time is to understand the story Jesus tells right after he encounters Peter with this question. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who decided to call in all the debts owed to him. And the man who comes before the king owes this king millions of dollars. And he, and he says, look, you can't pay me back. You, your family, everyone sold into slavery until the debt can be paid in full. The man heartbroken, falls before the king and says, please forgive me, please forgive me, give me time, please, just, he weeps before the king and the king says, okay, I'll take this one, I will forgive your debt, I'm willing to be seen as a pushover, but this man knew what he had been forgiven. But then this same man goes out and sees somebody who owes him a couple hundred bucks and grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. The man who he's now got his hands around his throat says, give me some more time. Just give me some more time and I can make that happen. And this man who was just forgiven a debt too great to be able to pay back has this man thrown into prison. People see what happens and they go and tell the king everything that happened. This dude you just showed great mercy to just ran this dude over the coals. The king calls the man back in and says, how could you do this? I have shown you great mercy. And you turn and devour a man over a couple bucks. Here's what's going to happen. You will now be thrown into prison until the debt can be paid. And Jesus says these words in Matthew 18. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Friends, forgiven people forgive. I know you may think, oh, that sounds like work. So, like, I've got to work my way out of... I've got to, like, forgive enough so that God will forgive. No. (laughs) You see, the thing is, we live a life based on what we put our faith in. And so if you're an unforgiving person, nine times out of ten, I can guarantee you, your faith is in yourself. If not 9.99% of the time. If you're a forgiving person, I can almost guarantee that you have understood the forgiveness shown to you. Good anger gets displeased over the right things, aims to build, but always lands with mercy and forgiveness. Every time, and I know that sounds impossible, it is. It's only Christ's strength through us that allows us to know what good anger is. And how it will land with mercy and forgiveness. So as we go to this table this morning, we take the bread, we take the juice. What we're saying is, I've found forgiveness. I have been forgiven of my betrayal of God, my betrayal of others. And I, I have to be remade because I can't do this on my own. So when we go to this table, what we're saying is, thank you for the forgiveness you have shown me. Now I will go and do the same. And I want to halt you before you go to this table this morning. I want us to take a minute to repent over our bad anger. And if you have said the words, I forgive you loosely, and you have not meant it, repent of that. Hit the ground and say, Jesus, Thank you for really saying forgive me, not just pretending to forgive me, but thank you that it's real. Help me know what it looks like to really forgive those who have wronged me. Then get up, go to that table, and rejoice that God is slow to anger and he's aiming with mercy. Father, we love you. And I thank you for the cross of Christ that is a loud declaration of your anger over injustice and sin and betrayal and hatred and backstabbing and lying and cheating and immorality and all the idols that we have built. Thank you that you did punish the guilty on the cross by taking a perfect Jesus who never sinned to take on my sin so that I could be covered, forgiven, and used as an instrument of forgiveness as I get angry over the right things in this life. We love you. We worship you. It's in your name we pray.